We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! (laughs) All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. Buckle up, because Metro is bringing you the best deal in wireless. Switch to Metro and get your choice of two awesome free phones from top brands like Samsung and LG with huge HD screens and tons of memory for all your pics and videos. So hurry into Metro and get your awesome free phones only at Metro. Plus sales tax and activation fee. Requires port and of eligible number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. Limit four per account or household. Restrictions apply. See store for details and terms and conditions. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 164, and this opinion is brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and who else joined me today but Frances Tomas as Frances. Unfortunately, we couldn't get a show in after that good win against Real Valladolid. Instead, here we are after a 3-1 loss to Levante, and that really does change the narrative. And some of those things we're going to be talking about today in the Ronda, in the listener questions. But Frances, a question I always have to ask you. Are you ready to do this? Yeah, let's do it, man. Um, I think one of the great things of the podcast is that we are here, rain or shine, you know. So today wasn't brilliant, and we just need to keep moving. So yeah, let's do this. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to start with. And always remember that uh, regardless of the results, that we're going to be loving this club regardless of who's in the board, regardless of who's the manager, and regardless of who's in the team. A few things that would put us off uh, certainly don't have to do with Barcelona at the moment. So, uh, yeah, I think we always love this club and support the club no matter what happens, but there are certainly things to be changed and things that need to improve while uh, Barcelona do struggle. And I want to give a shout-out first as we start the pod to James, who did mention that Levante away has been a difficult fixture for Barcelona in the same way that Real Sociedad uh, in Onieta had for a while there. But that said, Barcelona the more talented team. And, you know, this is going to be a whole show where, based on our listener questions, it feels like we're just going to be trying to point fingers at things. But I think, Frances, part of what our job to do as, as the host of this show is to also try to figure out what, what could be done or what some results are done to make things go positive instead of just finger pointing at why this season really hasn't gone the, the way we would expect it to go, even though Barca are still in a good position in the Champions League even though they're still top of the table, and regardless of who you want to blame there. We're going to start with a question from Rick, 
And I think uh, breaking this down into different questions and different topics, we've got questions from Rick, George, and Minor. I'm not going to read them all at the same time. We're going to start with Rick's question. And this is a the first topic is basically Valverde. So Rick asks, many, including myself, believe that it's time for Valverde to go. And Francesco, you and I both agreed on that before. Yet it seems he has the trust of the president, Bartomeu, and the board. Not to be devil's advocate, but to ignite some discussion. What are the reasons not to sack Valverde at this moment or even after the season? <laughs> That's a very difficult question. Right. Um, the reasons not to sack Valverde are being too conservative and sort of not admitting that you were wrong not to sack him at the end of last season. I'm assuming another reason could be that you don't know who who would come. Uh, you wouldn't really sort of be able to search the market at this moment in time and find someone who's better. Um, also, someone who is better on paper may not necessarily be better. In, in, in fact, um, another reason may be that obviously Barca are leading La Liga. I mean, you could argue, and I think it's very obvious, and you will have a point if you argue this, is that the quality of La Liga has uh, diminished in terms of how effective Real Madrid, Barca and Atletico Madrid have all been this season and also the fact that the mid-table teams seem to have improved. But I think it's more of a fact of the top three actually uh, messing around, really, and not performing to the level that they should in terms of squad, but in particular and in relation to the history. So that's three reasons there not to sack him. I think there are many more to actually do something about it immediately in order to improve things. Yeah, you're certainly right about that. What if Valencia hadn't torpedoed their season by firing their manager in a great spot? And what if Sevilla hadn't completely turned over their entire roster? And what if they had kept Ben Yedder, who's still banging in goals now in Ligue 1? And those are two questions I asked because those were the two teams, I think, that were ready to overtake one of the big three, and they had been for some time, and yet it didn't happen. And you're absolutely right about that as well, about by sacking him at this moment... He's still first in the table. And yes, I think that at this point has so much more to do with when you look at results, so much more to do with the fact that Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid have very much their own issues, some of which might be worse than Barca's because the difference is Barca has Messi and they don't. Uh, and so Barca's able to, you know, through the greatness of Messi, and it's not despite of Valverde, but it's simply that Valverde does have Messi in his team. And so they're first on top of the table. And, you know, that's, again, probably the biggest reason why Valverde hasn't been sacked. If Barca were in fifth place at the moment and playing the way that they're playing, you know, even with the support of the board, Valverde wouldn't be able to survive that kind of where they're at now. But based on the results of everybody else in the Liga, Barca is still in first. And that's the reason why he still has a job and why you look at it, sacking him while Barca is in first place, not only is that unprecedented, but you're absolutely right about bringing somebody in. The the replacements that you, you've circled that could potentially work this out, we're going to talk about Komen later in the show, uh, Ronald Komen, that is. But when you look at Eric Ten Hag, the head coach of uh, Ajax, that has also been circled as somebody that, I think that's not something that's ever coming from, from Catalonia, that's never coming from within the club, but obviously the fan base has said Ten Hag is certainly a, a manager having looked at Ajax last season and what he did with them and what even he continues to do, the way he cultivates and develops uh, younger talent. Uh, it's not to say that this the Ajax team that's currently uh, playing in the Eredivisie would be able to contend in the Liga, but it, it's simply the point that there's a way to bring along youth that Ten Hag has been able to do that while also gaining good results in the Champions League. So that is proof of the pudding there, uh, proof in the pudding rather. And I think for the likes of Ten Hag, you wouldn't get him now. So it would have to be coming on later. And that leads us to a question from from George, asks any chance Alverde will leave sooner than later? And he gives a little half, hashtag Alverde out. And of course, Alverde is the 
the scapegoat time and time again when Barcelona do not look do look their best. And I don't know if that's entirely fair because it is individual players as well. But simply put, Frances, there's something that in the way that he sets up his team, even with the individual players, and there are certain instructions that are given to them that seems counter to their skill set. For sure. I mean, and also going back to the question, if you were getting paid over 20 million euros a year and you were leading La Liga, would you want to leave? I don't think I would. You know, obviously, he's got a lot of pressure from pretty much the, the whole of the fan face at this moment in time. But I would say that I wouldn't leave. I would try and make things better. And if they want to sack me, then I would get a lot of indemnity for it. You know, and I think that that's the game that Valverde is playing right now. Um, whether he's fully convinced that he's got control of the dressing room, I honestly doubt at this moment. Um, I think it's fairly obvious that he doesn't. Um, I think also, and I don't want to put all the blame on Valverde. Obviously, he's the one that should be the most he's the one that should be sort of getting those people ready to get out of bed in the morning and, and to perform the best they can in training so they can you know challenge each other for a starting 11 spot but then when you look at it the players are, are playing with fire and they're getting burnt you know you've got a lot of very comfy super established players that are not defending as they should they're not attacking as they should they're not I would assume they're not really following the manager's instructions because, you know, the other flip of the coin is that the manager's instructions are just nonsensical, which I, I don't want to believe that that's the case. And they just think that they can go to um, Levante, they can go to Granada, they can go like last season to Getafe or even Leganes and places like that. And they just, you know, we are FC Barcelona, we've won eight out of the last 11 leagues. And then because I've got that pass behind me, I'm going to go into those sort of pitches in La Liga and I'm going to win it just because of my name, because of my history. It's a wake-up call, man. That's not going to happen. Um, I normally am quite positive in the pod and I try to give it a positive spin. But, you know, in Rome, it was catastrophic. Then the following season in Liverpool, it was catastrophic. But the thing is, you can argue that that happened because it was a European level. You can argue that um, Liverpool and obviously a couple of years ago, Roma, um, outplayed us. It was in, in terms of motivation and it was a silly five, ten minutes. Fine. Accepted. Not accepted, but, you know, that's the common sort of explanation that we had. But going to Levante and, and throwing a game away in seven minutes is nonsensical. And the thing is, before the... Because we only got a goal out of a penalty, really. Um, so we were lucky to not be drawing at that stage. But the thing is, the moment that Barca got ahead, they just... They, it, just it just felt like they they went to sleep. It just felt that they, they knew that victory was coming their way and they were sort of um, organizing and administering their time and to put the game to bed. And the thing is, this is not 2009, this is not 2011, this is not 2013, etc., etc., etc. It's 2019. Messi and Piquet and Busquets and, and, and many other Suarez are on the 30s now and they cannot win matches by walking. And that's, in a nutshell, what it is. If you play with fire, you get burnt. And if the main target for the season is to get to February alive in the three competitions, like I know the players have been saying inside the dressing room, it was reported by Catalonia Radio a couple of days back, then, then so be it. But the thing is, if you're not used to competing, if you're not used to pushing, if you're not used to um, responding to the demands of high-level competition, come February, things are not going to change, you know? Um, it's all about habits. I mean, I know it's not an NBA podcast at all, but LeBron James, he's been talking about this for years. It's all about having a winning mentality. It's all about the work ethic from the work goal, from the moment preseason starts. And 
this year's preseason was a joke. Um, it was the money and the branding was prioritized to the sporting part of it. Um, Valverde couldn't really establish anything. And this was the summer he should have done it if he wanted to save his own, let's just call it backside. And it's just not working, you know. And, and going to Levante and being ridiculed like that in seven minutes just because the player's head's not in it is is unacceptable and embarrassing. Well, yeah, look at Bayern uh, just fired uh, Nika Kovac after getting completely embarrassed by Frankfurt 5-1, to one, even though Bayern Munich, having they lost Frank Ribery and Arjen Robben just because of age this season, and they have, over the, the last few seasons, phased out an older generation, uh, and they've more so brought in a younger generation that's playing a bigger role with Bayern, and they haven't really recovered in terms of results, and they haven't run away with the Bundesliga this year at all. It's it's Mönchengladbach at the moment who's who's on top. And so how many more embarrassing defeats does Barcelona have to to endure? And it goes back again to what the goals are and what the team is trying to do and they're trying to slog along. But that said, again, when we'll revisit this obviously every week in and week out and results for Barca will probably get better again. They had I, I wanna remind you, before this Levante result, Barca had won the most straight in all the top five leagues. Right, and, and th- see that—that's the point that we put this in, and it's not a—it's not a defense of Valverde or defense of anybody. Levante was, in a nutshell, it, I thought there were themes there in Levante. The reasons why Barca lost were things that persist and have persisted throughout the season when Barca aren't playing well. And even though they got wins and they got results, some of those weren't the prettiest, and some of them were just simply getting over the finish line because we have the superior talent. And so when you look at you know how things quickly things could change that's the point the people are frustrated now even in first place even though they had won the most uh, games in a row uh, of all the big clubs and yet fans are afraid that if Barca plays the way that they were playing even in those victories and particularly we saw what happened against Levante that if they do that in the Champions League and this is true if you do that against Dortmund you're going to lose 7-1 or 7-0 if you do that against Inter Milan they're going to lose 6-0 if you do that against yeah, I mean, let's say they get to the knockout stages, right? If you do that against City or Liverpool or, or Bayern or someone like that, or Juventus, it, it, it's going to be a bloodbath and not in Barcelona's favor. And so Minor asks, on a scale from 1 to 10, how bipolar has Valverde's season been so far? And Minor, I actually think on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most bipolar, I actually think it's around maybe a 3 or a 4. Because, uh, again, as I said, the results have been there and results may feel bipolar, but mainly Barcelona are winning. But they're winning by backing their way into those victories. And it's a lot of the same thing of just getting over the line because they have superior talent. And I think, by and large, that's been the same formula. Uh, and the problems that Valverde has had in this team, again, when it, it comes down to, he, he mentions that Dembele doesn't even make the squad against against Levante because he had not been playing. And that obviously he'd come off the injury, got a few minutes there, and had then got the ejection. So then he misses uh some matches there and it, I mean that's the start and stop Dembele career as we always expect and you know as we've said in the past you put more blame on the player himself than Valverde but the thing about Valverde is while he did put in Carlos Perez and Ansu Fadi to add width the one thing I want to bring up here as we wrap up this point about Valverde I'm so puzzled and I don't want to put all the blame on him and I know every time we do this Frances I get so many comments about how we're defending Valverde and all these different things and how we're, we're, we're trying to destroy the, you and I are trying to destroy the club by supporting Valverde but the question I ask are we? wait wait <laughs> but the question I ask about the culpability of the lineup that he puts out right 
We've mentioned on this pod before, Luis Suarez, why is he playing 90 minutes over and over again? And I thought his inactivity in that match was a big part of what happened in Levante, particularly when Levante changed things over. While it's a de- defense that gives up the goals, leading the line and an, uh, just an ineffective performance from, from Suarez. Now, the, the point here that I want to make is Suarez playing 90 minutes, game in and game out. Years down the road, I want to know the exact reason why Suarez has not yet been now, I'm not saying dropped. I mean rested for a single match in this stretch here. Now, Barca were getting results, but it's not. you can't say that Suarez has been particularly effective. And sure, maybe his presence has helped Messi get back to his best, where Messi in October, five games, five goals, four assists, uh, the best player in the world in October, with Messi uh, having got fit from that injury. But even if that's bringing the best out of, of Messi, having Suarez on the field, Suarez himself was not pulling his weight, I believe, in the month of October. Now, Griezmann, who came into the club, Griezmann and Suarez have not worked out well. And Griezmann has to play. He's quality, and even though he doesn't add width, he's one of the top players in the entire world when he's in a system that works, and this system doesn't necessarily seem to work for them, even though Valverde's system of more playing more defensive has him all over the field. And I thought, other than Semedo, the only other bright spot you could take from Barca against Levante came from, from Antoine Griezmann and his work rate, which we've been praising this season. And that said, was Griezmann brought in, not probably Valverde asking for him, but it seems like that was a player that the board had already earmarked then last summer. And he chose, that being Griezmann, not to come to the club. And then the, the board fought again to get him in. I don't know how much of it was the players that fought for Griezmann, but it sounds like we'll talk about the comments by PK uh, in, in, a, in a minute. That's a question coming up. But when it comes to, it sounds like the players didn't necessarily push hard for Griezmann, but it was merely the board said, this is a guy that, that, that we've earmarked as wanting to come to the club, and we're going to spend what it takes to get him here. And that goes almost against, potentially, the beliefs of, of Valverde. Now, maybe Valverde thought he could use Luis Suarez and Griezmann together, but so far, it takes chemistry for top players to work together, but it has not worked so far, and I've talked about it with, 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 and yet, here's Dembele, who, while Fati and Perez are good players, Dembele is Usmane Dembele, who's already this top player who that you can criticize him all you want, but he not only does he add width, but at the ball at his feet, that game could have changed in a moment. So even if it bars are down 2-1, my belief is using the width of Dembele, he alone is not going to change the result there. But when you have a front three of, and Messi wasn't firing in, in that game either, so either Messi is going to save you, but it seems like the combination of Suarez and Griezmann, when Barca are down 2-1, Things just aren't working there, and things are not working to a point where Barca could overturn that and win 4-2. That's just not going to happen here. Uh, and I, I think it does take some game-breaking. Fati, you know, it looked brighter. Again, I think Barca improves offensively when they have width. Not, I'm not just saying it's a 17-year-old saver. I'm just saying when they add width, things are better. And I'm sure it's Valverde doing the wrong things with the personnel he has. Or again, was this a position that he was put in by a board that brought in a player that maybe Barca that didn't really suit the system that Valverde was playing. It's just a belief that Messi is getting older and you need some kind of Antoine Griezmann, you need some kind of top talent to be there to supplement it if he gets hurt like he did or later on. Yeah, and the thing is, there are different layers of um, who's to blame here. I mean, Barca are a club that obviously with Bartomeu in charge don't really have anyone who can who can or wants to more more like want to take sort of very drastic decisions to make things better that's just not going to happen it hasn't happened for years with the Suarez situation well Barca haven't really signed anyone to replace him um, whether that has been done not to annoy him or more importantly not to annoy Messi that remains to be seen but it is clear that the the reinforcements haven't sort of gone for the key positions that we are seeing need reinforcing when you look at the people that have been brought in recently 
you've got the young, you've got Griezmann especially, but you can also put Ter Stegen. Obviously, I know he's not recent, but um, is the point I'm making. So Ter Stegen and even Semedo, you could say that um, in Levante, you could see that they were annoyed. You could see that, you know, with the body gestures, with the body language, with the way they were looking at each other, with the way they were looking at even Valverde at some stage. Um, even Messi was staring at Valverde at some point. I think it was after the third goal. You can see that they are annoyed because they're losing. But there are other players that just seem totally oblivious to what's going on around them. Um, and they don't really seem to be bothered. I mean, you could point the finger at the players for that. But then again, you think about it again. And the person who's responsible to motivate the players is obviously the players themselves, but it's the manager. You know, when you've got an inspirational manager, then you give 110%, if not a million percent. Um, after the game, because I tend to I tend to not listen to Catalan radio that much um, after we win, but when we lose, I, I, I like going to see what the players themselves are saying and the analysis <laughs> there. And, um, it's called masochism. And that, that's, it's a level of masochism, Frances. We got we got to get that work done. <laughs> Yeah, we do, we do. So um, Griezmann came on and he was pretty much speechless. But um, one of the elements that no one really in the press picked up that he mentioned in the in the little interview they, they, gave, they gave him, he said um, they praised his defensive sort of um, ability and, and, and willingness during the game. And he said, well, I want to thank Simeone for that. So basically, this is a guy that's playing at Barca that is doing something great that everyone's picking on. And <laughs> the only reason that he's doing that is because of his previous manager instilling a, a degree of uh, sort of self-ambition and, and self-awareness and, and willingness that the current manager is not giving him at all. Then I went on to listen Valverde's, to Valverde's press conference in full. And he seemed much more defeated than usual. He was much more composed and calm and sort of trying to deflect uh, all sorts of critical questions. For the first time in a long time, he was asked whether he should resign, and he was a resounding no. Um, as I said earlier, if I was getting paid 20 million euros, I would probably go the same way, to be honest. But um, one of the things that sort of came to my mind is that he doesn't criticize his players at all. Um, and there are different managers. I'm not saying he should um, publicly, because I think things are better deal with behind closed doors but the thing you've got other managers such as uh, Mourinho etc that would just go down that route obviously we don't want Valverde to turn into Mourinho but the point he's make, uh, making is that I don't know and I don't feel and I know the, the vast majority of Kules around the world don't feel that Valverde actually has control over that room. he doesn't have a voice that the others sort of listen to and, and sort of adhere to all the time he's more of a coach that guides and I think some of these players need mano dura, which is a strong view, a strong hand to be steered in the right direction because otherwise we're facing, or more importantly, gearing towards another fiasco at the end of the season, if not earlier. Yeah, and this happens, you see, in, in national teams. When I have, I, I want to use the United States national team, but there are other examples as well. When you have a, a team that seems to be, not to say missing a generation, but for Barcelona's current roster, the way it's built, you have the most important players are either over the age of 30 or sub-23 years old. And what that creates is this uh, almost an imbalance of, you're right, of what happens with criticism and what happens with the, the way we assess different players, where it's true. I mean, for all the winning that Messi and PK and Busquets and Suarez have done, now, the fan base is obviously 
giving a lot of criticism to Suarez, and that comes because he's on we, what we believe is you know the end of his his twilight, the end of his best, uh, and and the the backside of his prime because of his knee injuries. He's breaking down a little quicker than the other ones I'm just mentioning. But that said, when it comes to La Masia players, they get even more flack. And somebody mentioned this week about Sergio Roberto and the way we talk about him. And because he does have two positions, if we critique him enough at right back, we were honestly trying to say that maybe he should be in the midfield. And if we say that midfield didn't work and that's why he moved back to right back, we praise the way he, he wound up being at the right back position. But that said, you know, Sergio Roberto had a... a a dastardly uh, performance against Levante, and that's one of the guys who I didn't really hear much criticism for him. Um, and it's not that he, Sergio Roberto being one of the captains, and we know why he's one of the captains, because he's the prime example and the reason why when everybody else outside of Barcelona and Kules who are talking about their own team, whenever anybody outside of our bubble ever mentions Sergio Roberto, it's simply in reference to the fact that it's that, that adage and that what has become very cliche, Sergio Roberto is one of the very last members of La Masia to break through, and it was his persistence and his love of Barcelona that got him there, right? And that's what we always praise without really talking about what's even happening on the field. It was merely that he worked hard enough uh, to get there. And all that said, I know that it sounds like I'm just merely saying it's time to uh, put some pressure on some of the captains, but... That said, it's that when we see the negativity about Dembele and it's easy to critique Semedo and some of the younger players, Arter, for some reason, sidestepped criticism, but I've tried to. On the, You go over to Quick Take Match Reviews on the Patreon. I try to give criticism to Arter when he doesn't have a good performance. Uh, but I, yeah, I think the younger players, it's easier to give them criticism because they're growing and learning and they're supposed to be progressing. But the older players are what they are. And so you put the blame on the manager when, you, when it comes to Messi and Busquets and PK because if the, a manager comes in having a complete understanding of the complete player, that those players, they're not going to change the way that they are. So it's a manager's job to get the best out of them. But you're right, Frances. You know, you and neither you, you or not, nor I played professional uh, football at the top level or at all. But when you look at what's happening behind the scenes in an addressing room, there is something that a manager has to give and has to get. And I completely agree with your point that when it comes to managers that critique their players in public, I hate when managers do it. I, I think it's just it, it all should be handled behind the scenes. It all should be handled in-house. But it gives the media room to make you believe that Bavardi doesn't have a hold on the dressing room when he does or if he does. And the last point I have to say is when you have these experienced players and Jorge and Frederick, they both ask questions about Messi uh, and Messi's ability to lead and some of the blame that might be culpable for our, our top captain. And when it comes to Messi, uh, it seems like he's not necessarily leading in the ways that, and that's what happens with older teams like Barcelona. If the manager is giving up some of his voice to the older players, then it means that those older players also need to be then those leaders. And it seems like Messi and Pique and Busquets and Roberto are not being the vocal leaders that they need to be in an older team if Valverde is giving them the responsibility to do so. Uh, yeah, but done, done, done. Just there. Does he, though? Does, does he need to be the le- a vocal leader on the pitch, Messi? No, not the is pitch. Really not the pitch. No, no, in the locker room. In the locker room. Not on the pitch. In the locker room. Yeah, but how, how do people know that? I mean, if anyone has got a pass to the dressing room, please let me know how to get that because I want one too. I mean, how do people know that? I mean, Messi has been killing himself for the last 15 years for Barca. He's the best goal scorer in our history. He has scored, how many goals did you say? Five goals or six goals in the last month? I mean, what else do you want the guy to do? Honestly, what else do you want the guy to do? He's been outstanding. He's been the only reason why Barca are leading La Liga at this point. And he was injured for, what, five, six five, six weeks at the beginning of the year? I mean, what else does the one... that 
honestly, I can't even speak anymore. Uh, how, what else do you want Messi to do? I mean, the well, guy but, but is think... a genius. The guy is a leader, and he is someone who is quieter. You know, you don't need Messi to be shouting at people. You don't need Messi to be uh, gesticulating. Some people are different types of leaders. You know, you had Puyol, he would have been leading in a different way. But Xavi never really did that. He was more of an advisor and everyone is different, you know. And the thing with Messi is that he's never done that. So I don't quite understand why people expect him to all of a sudden change and do that. You know, he's focused on his game. He creates spaces for everybody. He's always providing for everyone. He's the best passer in world football, not just scorer. And... The fact that he starts shouting at people in the middle of the pitch is not going to make him a better leader. That's the way he is. And Barca's history has been rewritten because of him. So criticizing him for not being who he is, I think I think is quite hypocritical, to be honest. Yeah, but and I think well, that's and that's a funny thing. That's the point I'm making, that he does as a player. We talk, You talked about what more does he need to do on the field? Absolutely nothing. That's That's the whole point here, that he does the best way he leads is by putting in goals and assists and being the best player in the world. And that's what he does. And so, the, and that proves my point that I, I don't know what's happening in the locker room. We don't know what's happening in the locker room. But when you look at the personalities of Busquets, Roberto, and Messi, and then the personality of Valverde, I honestly believe that's the point, that because of the way Val, that Messi, and you made the point for me, that because of the way that Messi leads, and he's not the guy that's going to shout in the locker room or shout on the field, I do believe, and it seems like there is an absence of some kind of commanding, strong voice. And it's not PK either, because PK is busy doing whatever he's doing in the U.S. or traveling or whatever it is. So while there is an experienced players, you know, as you said, Messi is doing all he can on the field. He can't possibly do more. So with him being the top captain, it, one of those captains at least needs to be, there has to be some kind of commanding voice. And if it's not Messi, that's fine, because he is messy and he leads by example and he does all those things. But again, then I go down the line and look at where where the captain's armbands also sit with Busquets and Roberto and Piquet, and none of them are those vocal leaders you'd expect them to be either. Uh, and, and so if Valverde's not that, and Messi's not that, and Piquet's not that, and Roberto's not that, and Busquets is not that, then when it comes time to even, you see it. I mean, Messi says some things, but if it when it's time to reverse the mentality that Barca have and they keep they and they're saying as themselves these are not my comments but as PK mentioned when they're talking about and they when they think of Roma and they think of Liverpool every time they go down in a match what's that voice and it's okay that it's not Messi but if it's not Messi and it's not Valverde and it's not again all the guys I mentioned then what whose voice is it that needs to reverse that mentality I'm not trying to blame someone but then there has to be someone with that responsibility to try to reverse what they're going through and what they're feeling so that they can when they're down 2-1 to Levante there has to be some kind of belief that they can win 4-2 and I'm saying who's yelling that who's and if that's Valverde's job and that's we're going to we're pinning pinning it on him then that makes him even more culpable in these situations. Yep. So so that's it. Sorted. We know what the change needs to be at this point. Yeah. Well, Francis, I really like that. That was a good discussion and conversation, you know, and it's funny that I took almost an anti-messy approach there, but uh, it always, I felt like I was, we were out of our skin for a second, uh, but what we're going to do now is we're going to get back in our skin, and we're going to get back into getting along with each other, I think, as we're going to head to an ad break, and again, all will be better on the other side of that. All right, so Francesca and I across the oceans, we gave each other a hug, uh, we made up, 
Uh, we both agree again. Messi is the greatest player that Barca have ever had because he's probably the greatest player of all time. Uh, we both agree that Valverde is still our manager, unfortunately, and we both won it about last summer. So don't worry, everybody. We got back to uh, what, what, what we know to be true about the team. But again, there are interesting things that are being brought up. And another one of those is, uh, you know, I started to dish a little bit about how unhappy I've been with PK in the last few weeks. Uh, but we got questions from Emmanuel and Benno about PK. Um, we're going to start with an easier one from Benno. PK said they know teams are not respecting the, the team that Barca used to be. Is that a little look into the thought process of this team and the complacency that is spread amongst the senior players that have won everything and now lacking the desire that they once had? Well, possibly, but the thing is, it's very obvious that the team is not as effective as they were. They're not as hungry as they were. They don't have enough the quality in terms of individual players. Um, because if you look back like 2019, like how many t- players made the FIFA top 11? I think it was seven or eight. You know, you've got Dani Alves at right back, you've got Abidal at left back, you've got Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets in the middle. That sort of quality we just don't have anymore. And it really goes back to what I said at the start: there's no one in the club that's willing to invest heavily to make drastic changes that actually the team needs. Because you know, why have we not? If, if they signed Griezmann as a starter and he was going to deploy as a starting striker, then fair enough, I get that. But that's not what reality is. That's not what's happening here. So basically what they said is, all right, we're going to um, continue with Suarez and not going to sign anyone else there just to keep him happy. Or the manager doesn't have the, um, let's just say, willingness, not to say a worse word than that, doesn't have the willingness to um, upset the balance of the team, They're just to change the experience order, you know, just try and drop a bomb. Because what I was going to say before the break as well, in the press conference, Valverde said, oh, Dembele has been dropped for technical reasons. So he wasn't injured. That's what Valverde explained to the media. He wasn't injured. So it was a purely managerial decision. But the thing is, it's very easy to point your finger at the same people all the time. You know, you always discard Rakitic. You always discard Carla Salagna. You always discard Dembele. But these are people that they are not in the team anyway this season. So if you want to sort of uh, punch the table if you want people to f- sort of have heads up and and realize oh th- this manager is changing things just drop Suarez for a game drop uh, Busquets for a whole game and not not put him on the bench just don't call him up at all um, drop Piquet for a game or, or Jordi Alba whoever you want it doesn't quite matter who it is it's just it needs to be something what we say in, in Catalan un cop d'afecta um, un golpe d'efecto which is uh, a punch on the table you know just change change the balance of what's happening because clearly Dropping Dembele is just the easy way to go about it. So just pick something or pick someone and just go ahead and do it. Be brave and show the players who've got control. Because if you don't have control and you don't have a way of getting it back, then clearly someone needs to change it. And Bartomeu needs to needs to hurry up pronto. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. You know, I, I think that... Uh, it's is not a positive for John Claire Tadebo, but uh, you know I believe John Claire Tadebo could have been the starting right back. I mean, starting right center back, and Barcelona could have still lost three one. It might have been the same result, or maybe it wasn't. Maybe it winds up being a one one draw for Barcelona. I think they were still playing terribly, and I don't think a teenager center back would have changed that. Um, but yeah, it's true for just one match. We saw Griezmann get dropped. Uh, was it two weeks ago now? He was dropped for just a match on the bench, and Barcelona were fine. And that can happen for just one match. I completely agree with that point 100%. It doesn't mean, you know, we were talking about these big themes, these broad strokes about Luis Suarez, that maybe it's time to move him into a super sub bench role and have him be coming off the bench and uh, kind of settle into what that new role would be. But the point that it is now that I'm making is that he's played 90 minutes 
Uh, and the only reason he came out against Levante was because he got injured. And it seems like that calf is going to keep him out of one game. And let's see how Barca play. Uh, now, I hope you have the same years before it, but let's see how they play tomorrow against Slavia Prague at home uh, where they've been dominant and they're playing without Suarez. Well, I'm interested to see uh, the lineup that Valverde picks and how he sets that all up. Uh, but the other point that you made, yeah, that I really liked was just about uh, the fact that individual players, just because P- uh, Busquets has dropped for one game, it doesn't mean that that we're, we're done with Busquets and that he's it, there has to be this road, there has to be some consternation. I, I think these players are mature uh, professional adults and they have to understand that rotation can be possible. And if Barca are playing poorly and getting negative results uh, with Busquets and PK and Suarez and Griezmann and all these players, well, then individually one of them cannot participate in a match and you can have Alenia or one of the younger players play one match and it's not going to be the end of the world. And Barca are not going to be, and I think that is the point that you made too, that my greatest frustration that uh, Carlos Alenia, we don't know what happened behind the scenes, but he plays 45 minutes against Athletic Bilbao, dropped for the entire rest of the season. You can't tell me if he was inserted at certain parts in this year against certain teams that Barca wouldn't potentially even play better or if the results wouldn't have been the same in negative results. Uh, and yet, you know, you have a young player that all of that was pinned on. And that's again what I, I just can't, I can't seem to get out of, out of my brain. Now, Emmanuel, uh, and it's funny that, that uh, Neymar was mentioned here because the other point I do want to make about the respecting the Barca team is that I, I, we always say it, we go back to the golden ages, Pep Guardiola and Messi was younger and all these different things. But the reason teams were afraid of Barca back then was because Pep and Messi and all of that was an unknown commodity. The way that they were high-pressing, the way that they were utilizing that 4-3-3 and some of the things that Messi was doing game in and game out was something that the world of football had never seen before. And, you know, I, again, I always mention, here in the United States, I'll do, I do play-by-play or I'll broadcast a, a college game here. And do you know what's funny about even the worst teams in these college conferences? So not the best teams in these the college teams. I'm saying some of the worst in every conference. They're still trying to play out of the back. They're still trying to high-press. Even here, uh, across the across these oceans and um, at a much, much, much lower level, coaches are still trying to teach the ways that they believe football has changed in the last decade. And that is goalkeepers are better on the ball. Center backs are better on the ball. You're building out of the back. You're doing all of these fundamental things that Pep and Messi and that Barcelona team of 10 years ago changed. And that's why teams are so afraid of them because they had never seen that before. And then they continued to be, I think there was some fear factor when you had Neymar, Messi, and Suarez. Because Suarez was in his prime. He had just come off some uh, tremendous seasons with Liverpool. Messi was still in his prime. And Neymar was, you know, by his second or third year at Barcelona, was this not only up-and-coming superstar, but he was also a global superstar. So teams, I think, feared that trident. And now you're at a point where... As we mentioned, the rest of the world knows that Barcelona have some older hats in their in, in in their in their cab, and then they have you know some younger players that are still unproven. Artur does not invoke the same fear that the, the, the name that Xavi or the name that Iniesta did. And De Jong, even though he had one good season, it hasn't been two or three, four seasons where he might be one of the best as the, the press sees him, but he has yet to be, he's yet to win the Champions League trophy as this, this all-star midfielder uh, in Barcelona. So that fear factor, and you know, you and I, Francesco, have been different sides of the fence here. And that's the point that Emmanuel's making with the senior players openly asking for Neymar to be signed during the summer, adding that to Messi's interview by Sport um, when he mentioned in Neymar and how he didn't actually push for him, but uh, he would be happy to have him return, which I think says what you need to say with that statement. And then PK, uh, his his comments last week about how the players would potentially reduce their salary to bring Neymar back, and then Ter Stegen's unhappiness with the way that things are going and the performance on the pitch. You know, he asks about uh, Emmanuel about whether or not the board is giving a wrong impression in public to exonerate themselves. But I think with the Neymar comments, it says something about that the players 
my thinking is that the players, and what is almost a, con- a convincing argument for Neymar is that it sounds like the players want to have that fear factor back. They want teams to fear them. And Neymar is a player that, even with all the criticism that the press gives him, opposition are terrified of him. That's why they continue to foul him. They continue to cut him down. Because Neymar is still a player that, with some open space and room to run, he will destroy any team in the world. And that's why he gets the criticism that he does for flopping and all those different things. Because he's constantly being hacked and fouled. Because that's the only way to stop a player like that. And I think that's what the players want. They want the team and the squad to be as powerful and as many thing as it can possibly be and they want teams to fear them again yeah but that depends on whether you can get the player or not i mean i do not doubt for a second that barca tried as hard as they could to get neymar back but ultimately psg just just went playing ball um also you need to put into consideration the fact that neymar is very injury prone now um i know that he has been injured on and off again this season and he hasn't really played consistently i mean i think it was he had played 63 matches for PSG and missed around 63 matches. Right. It was a couple of weeks ago. So 50% of the matches over the last two and a half years since he signed. And, you know, is that a player you want to have? I mean, why, why the obsession with Neymar? You know, if you're going to play that much money, do you really need to bring someone who Messi and Suarez are comfortable with? Or do you want to go elsewhere for someone like, and I know this is not possible, but someone like Mbappé or someone of, those, of that sort so that you can bring something new you can bring someone who's more malleable because there's another point here that we are missing is the fact that when Guardiola and even Luis Enrique to a point you know when they were managing they had a very strong generation of players that were in the sort of mid-20s or early 20s and they're more malleable meaning that you can change what they are you can teach them you can advise them you can um, get them to believe into what you're selling you know obviously you know everything goes back to the manager if you Guardiola or you're someone like Tito Villanova or someone who is inspiring and people, the, the, the players have the respect of what you're saying, then people will sit down and listen and will sit down and sort of act and react to what you're saying and adapt. But the thing is, Valverde, because of you know father time doesn't forgive any of us, but Valverde has come into a team which there is plenty of quality, don't get me wrong, but when you're in your 29, 30, 31, 32, 33 year of life, you as a player, especially as a football player, you're really not going to listen that much. You're not going to be able to grow and adapt that much because especially when you've been so successful over the last 10, 10, 12 years, 15 years even, that being the way I am has led me to so much success. And why am I going to listen to Valverde now? I mean, what has Valverde done before getting to Barca? What has he won before to teach me? You know, if you are someone like Luis Suarez, someone like Busquets, someone like, you know, they've been coached by fantastic managers. Like Busquets, for example, you've got Del Bosque, you've got Aragonés, you've got Villanova, Guardiola, Luis Enrique, you've got a lot of great, great managers before. Are you going to, at that age, 31, 32, 33 even, going to listen to what Valverde is telling you? I don't think so, you know? And then the point you made about the, the big generational gap, there's no one there in the mid-20s, apart from Ter Stegen, as far as I can remember, that really has the potential to be world-class. Because, you know, let's face it, Sergio Roberto is never really going to be world-class. He's going to be a very valid player who could be a starter. In fact, he has been for many, many years at Barca, but he's not going to be a, a fifth pro, 11th starter. Never. It's not going to happen. So you need to get someone who can motivate these players, and Valverde isn't it. So you just need to find an alternative and, and keep growing. Yeah, you mentioned I'm happy to hear this pod in five, six, seven, eight years when you and I stopped listening to each other completely. 
Uh, it sounds like that's on the horizon. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what I was listening to, obviously, in that point that I, I really liked that you made is that not only is it that generational thing that I had brought up, um, but when it comes to the likes of Busquets, uh, you know, as I said, it's a manager's job, and this we almost end this with talking about the manager uh, as we as we began it. That when it comes to Busquets. You've got to build a squad around him. He still does so many great things that whether or not the personnel that Valverde has is right for him, clearly the Valverde is not getting the best out of his tactics, out of his formations, out of his players. And I didn't, you know, I've been mentioning it in recent weeks. We talked a little more about tactics. We didn't really talk about tactics this week, but I mentioned the positioning of Messi and having him drop too deep has been a major issue for me because it just puts everybody out of position if he gives the ball away before he gets too close to the goal. Uh, and then they're out of defensive shape and then they're they're getting cut on the counterattack. And, and I, and I mentioned, too, how PK and Lay work into that because they don't have the speed to either get back on the counterattack themselves or they also, by giving up the ball, and this was my biggest issue about PK against Levante. Uh, again, I mentioned this on the Patreon, that if he's going to be, if him, he and Ling Lay are not Umtiti and Dodibo, so they're not going to be dribbling into space. And now they're not perfect that being Umtiti and Todibo by delivering a ball once they dribble into that space and, and close off and, and the uh, the defense starts to pressure them a bit, but by PK and Lenglei attempting to do these long balls and and cutting through multiple lines and bypassing the midfield, which PK has done before, and again he's a world class center back in the same regard against Levante, though he was giving the ball away to their midfield, and at times for the I believe it was the third goal, he or rather the second goal, yep, it was the second goal he gives the ball away, that being PK, basically he's pressured like he was a 19 year old center back in the championship and he gives the ball away and then it comes right down their throat and so if that long passing isn't working and they're not breaking those lines then Lele and PK have almost been neutralized and what they can they can offensively help and so uh, Ernesto Valverde has to figure that out and you know he made the comments in that press conference that you mentioned that he made the comment said it's my job to figure out why we're losing well I think that's one of those reasons that when you choose the center backs you choose that fit a certain profile and they're giving the ball away in those kind of positions then you either need to get them off the field if they don't have it that day and maybe you need to sub out a center back which again is a drastic things to thing to do but if you're playing poorly and, and and certain players are culpable, then there has to be some kind of accountability, not over the course of a season, but just in one match. It's fine for somebody to... I've had poor podcasts where there are days when I just don't have it, uh, and, and that's how it is. Um, but I think let's end with a point about a manager that Eli makes about Komen, because he's also been in the news. And I do actually, before I ask this question, I want to apologize that we didn't have time to get to Ricky Pooch stuff, but last week and the week before, I had some YouTube stuff on both Ricky Pooch and Barcelona B, and we asked the question there now two weeks ago about Ricky Pooch, whether or not he should stay, be loaned out, or he would potentially just get promoted to the first team and what not only is most likely but what should be happening and his comments this week about how he doesn't really want to get on loan but now he's a little more open to it because he doesn't seem like there's first team minutes and I agree with him it doesn't seem like there's first team minutes for Puj even with Rakitic leaving because he's not getting any minutes either so it doesn't seem like Puj is going to have a chance and it would have to go back on loan we talked about how unsuccessful loans are so again go to the YouTube channel you can find just or type in Ricky Puj the Barcelona podcast on YouTube and you can watch that video and I go through some of those reasons and that still holds true today but what we are talking about is Ronald Cohen the other guy who was in the news for Barca this week very openly talking about 
this is Eli's question, his dream of, of joining Barcelona, but he also mentioned that he would only do it post the Euro 2020 because he is the current manager of the Dutch national team. And two questions here, is Komen good enough to manage Barca? And if he does join, can he potentially join Barca as late as July the 12th when the Euros are finished? And that would be if the Netherlands made it all the way to the final. But would that be too late for preseason prep? And would that put Barcelona in a, a, a dangerous quandary? No, he's not going to make the decision on the July the 12th, is he? I mean, he's probably going to officially, if, if this was to happen, which obviously is very debatable, but if it was to happen, it would be announced to the public on that day, but he would have been working behind the scenes before. You know, you just don't get plonked with managing the biggest club in world football just, just like that. So there must have been a lot of negotiations happening before to get to that point and, and Kuman being appointed. So I wouldn't think there would be any problems with that. I mean, if I was a new manager coming into Barca, what I would say is make sure you give me a proper preseason and stop ferrying me around the whole world trying to get some pennies, you know. But um, in terms of Kuman himself suitable for the job, well, honestly, I think anybody at this point with half a brain is going to be better than Valverde at this point. Someone who can motivate the players, someone who has got the... Again, I'm going to use the word willingness. So someone who's got the willingness to actually make change happen. Um, someone who understands football, someone who understands La Masia. So Kuman at this point, yes, would be better than Valverde because I think I would be as well. And the vast majority of our listeners probably would be as well. So um, I would say it would be a positive change. But do, you, do I think Kuman is a long-term solution for Barca? Nope, absolutely not. Um, I think it would be a patch until someone um, with more of a sort of long-term, idealistic, modern, forward-thinking, adaptable nature comes. And I don't think Kuman is the, the man for that, no way. Yeah, I think the one pushback I want to give is I, we do th- consider what happened with Libertegui with Real Madrid in Spain right around the World Cup and how that turned out as ugly as it, as, as it did. Um, and so I would consider, though, that that would have to be, he finishes the Netherlands, picks up with Barcelona, and yes, there might be negotiations behind the scene, uh, but that's some, that should be something that I, I think all parties are privy to an understanding of, which Spain and Real Madrid and Lampartegui, that situation was you know completely mishandled, and I think that threw Spain for quite the loop uh, for the World Cup. So I, I know that... And that was more to do with the Spanish Federation than than actually uh, the, the coach himself. I mean, that was Rubiales from the Real Federación Española de Fútbol, so from the Spanish Federation, actually sort of being using his ego a little bit too much, you know, because if yeah. you think about it, he upset the whole of the Spanish uh, World Cup preparations just on his head, just because he wanted to honor a contract. I mean, it is obvious that managers who are high profile, they're going to get offers from clubs, especially if they will go do well during the World Cup. And I think that was total mismanagement from the, Spanish, from the Spanish Federation. I think Lopetegui probably wasn't in the right either. But if you're getting paid X amount and then comes Real Madrid and get, gets you five times the money and says, once you're finished with this job, come and join us, I would say anyone in the right mind, even I don't like Madrid at all, obviously. I, <laughs> I despise them. But I think that I would probably accept, not going to Madrid, obviously, but being paid five times more by a different employer once my current job is finished, I would say 100% of 99.9% of people who are listening to this would take it as well. So I think that's a mishandling from the Spanish Federation, not Lopetegui himself. Sure. Yeah, for sure. And it's also hindsight because of how poorly things worked out at Real Madrid. And the last point I'd make about Coleman, too, 
is that he did so poorly at Everton. It was a more defensive setup, but he has also evolved and changed. And that's something we want to see from managers as well, too, where players who are younger are malleable and they learn and change. And uh, I think managers who do that are the ones that have the longest standing power. And Coleman has improved. Again, he was more defensive. This is what you need to do. He would play a 4-4-2 often at Everton. But now with the Netherlands, he does have a little more talented players on the ball, but he also plays in a defensive 4-3-3 with two defensive midfielders. So it does have a basis of, of defensive football. So the, the reason why he wouldn't necessarily work is because I think Barca had a point where maybe they do need a more attacking-minded um, coach to try to capitalize and get the best out. And would that mean Barca would be in a lot of shootouts? Sure. Uh, but defensively, uh, it seems like things aren't necessarily working under Valverde, uh, and he's a defensive-minded coach. So you know that would be the knock against Coleman. But that said... They just because they're playing two defensive midfielders, usually in Martin Darun and Frankie De Jong, it doesn't mean they're playing defensive football. The Netherlands have been getting out; they're putting the press on; they're being a little more attacking. And one of the reasons that they can do that, however, is they've got De Ligt and and Van Dijk behind De Bruyne and De Jong. So that does give them some speed at center back that allows them to do that. And that would mean that if Coleman came in, maybe he would shift things around. Maybe players that would surprise you would get dropped might get dropped to play a, a more attacking uh, defensive. How do I say that? To have a defensive mind, but to play a little more attacking football, which I think is what Barca is trying to find the happy medium of. But I think that'll wrap this one up, Frances. Uh, anything more from this? Well, clearly this is one of those pots in which we could just go for three or four hours and we wouldn't really get to solve the world. So it's better to leave it where it is. Yeah, I agree. So thanks so much for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. Check us out on social media too. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod at Hilton D13 for me. On Instagram at the Barcelona Pod, a closed Facebook group. That's where we got these listener questions from today for La Ronda. TBPod.link backslash group. Deeper dive and discussions. Just fill out those questions. And if you fill them out, I let you into the group. If you don't, then you don't get in. You can also help us out on Patreon. It's three dollars to continue making these shows, but also you get the quick take match reviews there from me that range anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. TBPod.link backslash Patreon. We're also on YouTube as I mentioned now at the Barcelona podcast there's one video new every week this might be the only exception we might have not a video out this week uh but every other week you can get at least one video there you can also find the podcast there as well check us out hit that subscription button and thanks so much again for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon and forza barca forza you the grill master you've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop and as you lift that first forkful to your mouth you savor the moment to get amazing offers during the mercedes-benz summer event like the 2019 c-class sedan and glc suv the perfect recipes of driving performance plus you can enjoy six months of sirius xm all access included the mercedes-benz summer event now serving limited time offers on a select lineup of vehicles offers end september 3rd mercedes-benz the best or nothing For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done.